Spooky! We're streaming. It's mid-October. What are you streaming to get in the mood? I'm Katie Rich, and my answer is Fantastic Mr. Fox because my kid is watching it. It's on Disney+, Plus, and it's very autumnal. It's not spooky, but very autumnal. Is it kid-friendly? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the kid. Wow. Don't you cuss Just with to me. to my kid. I guess my kid sucks. Uh, <laughs> I'm at Patches, and for some reason I watched Wolf, that movie about Jack Nicholson becoming a wolf. And woof! Is it dumb? <laughs> hey, it's me, David the Seven, and I'm watching uh, Camp Crystal Lake Memories on Shudder, which is a six-hour documentary about the making of the Friday the 13th uh, franchise. It's fun and gory, but also making of movies. Did it like. take them more than six hours to make that franchise? <laughs> to do... Who's that speaking? Uh, speaking of great films. So clearly on a microphone, into a microphone. <laughs> speaking of great movies, uh, I'm David Ehrlich and I watched Demolition Man this weekend. <laughs> Still, the mystery of the three seashells haunts me. Also, the mystery of yes. what's going on with Sylvester Stallone's absent daughter in that movie, which apparently they, they shot a scene to explain and then cut, which leaves the old boy-like suggestion hanging in the wind that Sandra Bullock could be his daughter, even though they have sex. Anyway. Now, did you watch the Pizza Hut cut or the Taco Bell cut? Well, this is new information to me. I, I was not aware there's a Pizza Hut cut. I've, I believe I've only seen the Taco Bell cut. It's always the chain I associate with that Yeah, movie. the American release was Taco Bell, but they don't have Taco Bell in other countries. So for the European release, I believe it was changed to Pizza The Hut. best line in that movie is unambiguously when they talk about the fran- – they allude to the franchise wars that ended in there only being Taco Bell so that every restaurant left in Los Angeles is a Taco Bell, which makes no sense because how would you <laughs> – how would you even begin Del Taco to like did not put up a fight. Make pl- no, everyone who works at Del Taco was slaughtered and their heads were put on spikes. But how are you – would you make plans as to where you're going to go eat one night? Like, oh, we'll go to Taco Bell. And that's just the beginning of a long and knotty conversation about where you're actually going to meet up. Infuriating. Makes no sense. Unlike everything else in the movie. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine. I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 321, Pandemic 31. It is the week of Wednesday, October 14th, 2020. That's the day that in 1892, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle first published The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. It was the first collection of 12 stories that had been printed in the Stan newspaper. It seems like something Dave knew off the top of his head without having to look up for this. uh, I mean, there's definitely some times where I'm scrolling through notable things on the date and I'm like, I get to talk about... Sherlock Holmes. And by that, I mean make you talk about Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I was going to say, Thank you let you me, you me do all the talking. Uh, it was a pleasure. Oh, uh, I, sorry, I, sorry. I just I just remembered that I watched uh, on HBO um, about 43 seconds of Cats this weekend. And ooh. that was definitely the most frightening thing I've seen in a long time. It was a scene. They're like singing on a barge. And uh, Idris Elba is intimidating uh, Dame Judi James Dench. Gordon. No, and Dame Judi Dench. Are they not Dench. in that scene? No, and uh, maybe he shows up later. Again, 43 seconds. And uh, it, it just, it, <laughs> I mean, this, this sort of goes without saying at this point, I suppose, but this is the most of cats I've seen. It looked terrible. <laughs> oh, you never saw it the first time around. No. Anyway. Cats is the last movie I saw in theaters. 
That mm. that is a whole fact. It's really it didn't mean for it to turn out that way, and yet here we are. <laughs> uh, David, I was going to kick it to you anyway because we probably have some reviews. Uh, we do, yeah. Uh, ben A. Young says that this podcast is almost as good as World of Tomorrow episode three. Uh, wow. That very relevant, Ben A. Young. Uh, he reactivated my 11-year-old iTunes account for this, having never quite found a movie discussion podcast that fit my taste for HOT, all capital letters, current film industry topics, and eclectic films to yesteryear and today. I was so happy to find this podcast here, where the hosts argue fitfully over the latest festival circuit darlings, extol the virtues of Iranian cinema, we don't do that enough, and put Aquaman into a top 10 films of the year list, all in equal measure that's upsetting what i really dig from this podcast <laughs> is just how much the pandemic then <laughs> <laughs> what i really dig from this podcast is just how much the host's passion for cinema and all its varieties and permutations comes through there are a few things as good as watching a fantastic film but i'd say hearing someone talk about how a film moved them all capital letters again like a f- fat kid rolling down a mountain mm. wow. does, does that fly in 2020 i don't know Vivid. uh well, no, it rolls, apparently. Boy, it's hey. close enough. Now that goes down. He <laughs> made the bad joke, but down I, I lost it, and I feel like it got you a little You hit the bad. hi-hat at the end of it. Patches says, gravity writes. So many of my new... Gravity is on the ballot, you guys vote 2020. So many of my new favorite films, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Certified Copy, The Farewell, I got turned on to by this podcast, and I hope to find many more as the show continues on. Also props to them for doing this great show while running some of my fave film slash culture sites at Polygon, IndieWire, and VF. Sorry, Dave, I don't do GOT and Lost, but I'll get to the Coracast soon enough. They're all yeah. clearly oh, passionate right. for their craft, and it's a pleasure to listen every week. Ben, it's a pleasure to know that you're listening. It's a pe- pleasure to speak to you through the, the pod waves. Uh, that was such a nice very review. helpful. Thank you. Um... Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna leave it there. I can't remember. I, I don't think that we read the review by Brooklyn in parentheses starring Shersha, a memorable <laughs> name. But we will we will get there. We'll get there next week. Leave uh, a review. Yeah, leave us a review like on ben. iTunes. We'll read them on the show. If you have a problem with anything Ben said in his review, that's the place to do it. It doesn't reflect on us. But I'm not gonna hey, throw Ben under the bus. We love ben. him. He reactivated his iTunes account. <laughs> no, but he's, I assume he's already deactivated his, his iTunes account, so he'll never see the trash you write about him. But we could read it Bye, on the ben. show. Bye, Ben. Bye, Ben. I'll be reading on the show. That's it. No. Uh, David, the other day you posted a review of something saying you thought it was one of the two best movies of the year and that the other one was coming out later that day. I knew at the time you had to meet World of Tomorrow. The other one was Time, I think, just not to not to diss the movie we're not about to talk about. They're both about time, and yet neither one of them is the movie about time. Ah, uh, but one of them is called Time. One of them is indeed called Time, Garrett Bradley's documentary, which is truly phenomenal, uh, premiered at Sundance. I think we're going to talk about that next week. We'll talk about it next week. It opens, uh, it opened in theaters, although we all have sort of hedged our raves in talking about that or scheduling for that um, for obvious reasons. It will be on Amazon Prime coming this Friday, October 16th, and I really, really encourage you to find 
it and watch it. It's only 81 minutes long. It is absolutely one of the best movies. Are you saying we should find time? Find the time. Watch time. To watch time. Hey, son, lost track of time, but it was always there waiting for you (laughs) on VOD (laughs) in time. Justin Timberlake, <laughs> nowhere to be found. It's actually, it's actually Tron Legacy, it turns out. that uh, We should do a segment one day just about how phenomenally dumb that movie In Time is. It's on cable all the time now, and it's just like mind oh, in, time? in Time? Yeah. The Justin Timberlake yeah, yeah, movie? Yeah, the Gattaca guy. Hey, this coffee was four minutes last week. <laughs> the one that was originally called I'm Dot Mortal, I think is what the title was, and then they changed oh, it. Anyway, yeah, we're getting off track, but, but that movie is just impressively stupid in a way that very few movies before or since have been, and it's worth it's worth thinking about going forward. But uh, Katie, yeah, the movie I was talking about was uh, the movie that our good friend, who's never done anything wrong, Ben A. Young, mentioned in their review, World of Tomorrow, Episode 3. The absent destinations, David Prime. The uh, if if the words if the words world of tomorrow do not mean anything to you, uh, you probably have not been listening to this show for all that long. They are, of course, Don Hertzfeld's suddenly long-running sci-fi series uh, that began in 2015 with his Oscar-nominated short World of Tomorrow, one of my very favorite films of the decade, uh, about a young girl named Emily, later dubbed Emily Prime, who is visited by a third-generation time-traveling adult clone of herself, voiced by Julia Pott, who's an animator uh, who has a good show on HBO Max. Um, and uh, she takes young Emily on a whirlwind adventure of a very uh, Hertzfeldian, dark and deranged vision of the future um, before circling back. It, it's an incredibly poignant, hilarious uh, more than so, uh, film that could mean a great deal of things to a great many people. I thought it was a really beautiful fable about sort of the, the value of the present uh, and how difficult it can be to live there. Uh, Emily Prime is voiced, surreptitiously recorded uh, Don Hertzfeld's niece. He sort of just recorded their conversation. She was four years old at the time and built the script around them. It is incredible. The sequel in 2017, uh, World from Episode 2, uh, just as wonderful. Uh, kind of implosive in the mind rather than bouncing around time, but it really expanded upon this universe and built it out, came out of nowhere, and suddenly, you know, occurred to us what had obviously occurred to Don Hertzfeld, which is that he had created this incredible sandbox for himself to play in. Um, and it was clear then that there were going to be more chapters to come. And now we have World of Tomorrow, episode three, a 34 minute epic which i stress to anyone mind boggler anyone who's listening to this i feel i know don feels or hoped anyway that uh as much as the experience of watching this is deepened uh immeasurably by being familiar with the first two movies unlike the second film i feel like this one could stand on its own for whatever reason you didn't have the 40 minutes to watch the previous two combined and just want to go in cold. Uh, I think you, you can sort of get on the wavelength I, of the story right from the start. Or Patches, am I, is this I would crazy? definitely agree because, oh, no, yeah, I, was, I would agree yeah. because I have no memory. Like I have very vague memories of the first one and zero memories of the second one. Mm-hmm. I have not burned them into my brain like you have, David, but uh, it was coming. Some of it came rushing back to me, but I, I think it's pretty divorced. I think this movie is about the David character who's kind of been, a little bit in the second one, right? No, like, he's, well, he's, he's not. A, David goes back to Don Hertzfeld's book, uh, "The End of the World," um, where he appears in an image that's used in oh. "World of Tomorrow." Uh, he is not in "World of Tomorrow" too, as far as we know. But there is uh, a little bit, a little breadcrumb, a little bit of lore 
um, that is getting compounded. Yeah, I, as they I go feel along. like David is in the other movies, maybe crisscrossing through time or in between time, and it's and he, it'll be interesting to go back. His and most meaningful appearance prior to this is definitely this. in World of Tomorrow One, and it definitely makes this story a lot more poignant yeah. if you are familiar with that uh, with what his the role that he plays in that one. But it is not necessary to understand what's happening here, and I think the the story that he tells here, which um, you know the first it's one, like I think an animated La Jete. <laughs> Well, the first one I was going to compare to La Jete more than anything else. This one, I think, you know, obviously still playing with time and loops and and is very focused on memory, which, of course, is fundamental to anything Chris Marker did. But uh, the, the way the plot is structured here reminded me more of Christopher Nolan than anything else. Um, Or Looper. I definitely thought about Looper. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, but the the naughtiness with a KN um, of uh, the the time plot that he tells here, particularly when we'll get into this, when they start introducing diagrams to chart out exactly what's <laughs> happening and what David needs to do. It, it's so uncannily, uncannily a parody of Tenet, which obviously Hertzfeld had not seen when he made this painstaking film over the course of two years. But uh, it feels like a parody of that. And it, it's so incredible because not only does it sort of like poke fun again inadvertently at the big climax of Tenet but it's also so much more satisfying than the climate of Tenet on its own merits Uh, and I say this as someone who really appreciates Kristen Rowland but anyway just to set up the plot really quickly uh, (laughs) I'm excited to hear you this could be done (laughs) David is a guy He's floating through space, the infinite cosmos, the stars twinkling around him, the traffic of spaceships. And for all the wonder in the world, he is, of course, sitting in his little spaceship and doing some online shopping on uh, his equivalent of an iPhone. It's like a neural display. When suddenly he gets a message, uh, which turns out to be from a memory that Emily, a time-traveling Emily clone, implanted in his head when he was just a child. And it was sort of time-locked until interstellar travel became possible. Uh, because it is coordinates essentially for this planet, and so now that time travel is possible, or now that interstellar, every Christopher interstellar Nolan travel, it's interstellar, yes, it is. It's tenant. It's everything. And, and the movie is very much a farce in that way. Um, in in all, the way that all these movies are sort of having their fun with this retro futuristic kind of sci fi milieu. But he gets this idea to go to this planet because this woman who he feels like he's known all of his life but has never really met. Um, has come to him in, a, in an embedded memory. And so he's like, all right, I'm going to go to this planet. But because he's on such archaic neural technology, he has to, like, you would have to delete files off your computer to download, you know, something huge. He has to delete all of these things from his brain, essentially, Matrix style, in order to accommodate Emily's message, which starts with, like, Chinese and things that he's not going to use on an everyday basis and quickly leads to, like, walking and talking and things like that and by the time he is like scream crawling across this planet towards the beacon it is uh it is very 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 funny but um yeah and he finds this beacon and the beacon then things get exponentially more complicated from there involving uh the space between time um involving the grandfather paradox uh in but really to me like all these movies do such a brilliant job of doing it, it it distills this demented vision of the future that, again, gets more complicated with every installment into a very poignant and emotionally uh, lucid idea. Uh, what that idea is, I think the mileage can vary from person to person. I found this to be kind of in the vein of something like Cloud Atlas, like a really beautiful story about the the way that 
people and art in this case can also proliferate through space and time and how the things that we do, even if we can't live forever, because all of these movies are sort of about life extension, which is sort of the beginning of World of Tomorrow and about people, um, the, the hilarious self-harm uh, that the people inflict on themselves and society at large in the interest of living longer, if not necessarily better and staving off mortality. Um, but the way that what we are, what we make, and so on, can ripple through time in a butterfly effect sort of way uh, with unimaginable consequences. Um, and uh, to say that it it worked like gangbusters for me, uh, as predictable as this could be, would be an understatement. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to hear, especially for, from Katie, who agrees with me that uh, or does not have the memories of the past films necessarily <laughs> or the reverence for them. I, I think they're fabulous. I just I could not for the life of me remember exactly what was going on with Emily Prime and, and Emily's <laughs> clone from the future. Yeah. But I, it doesn't you know, I don't think it matters. I really think the vibe of World of Tomorrow 3 is that kind of exhilarating feeling at the end of 2001, A Space Odyssey, Whoa. where you're kind of like both lost or like you need i'm gonna watch this movie a hundred more times just to like feel the rush of imagery and feel the rush of existentialism and feel the rush of just like someone being far out there man and um i i I love as soon as david clones are going like in the in-between time and uh performing cardiac arrest or like giving other david's cardiac arrests and i i just like it, it was so loopy and yet exactly about David. There's this emotional underpinning to it. There's this feeling that uh, he, this character is unstuck, or this character is grasping for a feeling, trying to make sense, trying to like let emotion take over and be above all the technology or something. Um, I'm not sure it, it quite makes sense. And again, I probably want to watch it a bunch of times, but the feeling is so powerful by the end. Well, and there's this um, never let Don me Hertzfeld go. Has done that all the time. Um, the, this kind of never let me go feeling, right? Of these clones, where it's like they're kind of they they, they make backup clones and then they're abandoned. Um, and it's, you know the drama of the story centers on this one clone who kind of did something else, and so you're thinking about like the nature of like consciousness and like who gets to be a person and fulfill their lives, which is like part of where the drama comes from. <laughs> the idea um, that the-, the idea that they would. <laughs> It seems very problematic for someone to live as roommates with their own backup clones who they're ostensibly paying for to harvest for organs. (laughs) uh, It ends about as well as you would expect it to. And they seem so cozy when they're living as roommates. (laughs) Well, Um, yeah, except for under the surface, maybe less so. Yeah, it's not going so well under the surface. Um, But I was so struck by the neatness of the time travel that it sets up. Um, And, you know, we were talking about all these other time travel movies and just the way that, you know, it – it lays out in this kind of like the flat monotone of the Emily uh, clone narrator. It's like, oh, this is like a whole screenplay pitch. Like you could just make this movie. Um, But I kind of am glad that it isn't that movie because you can imagine all the bad versions of that story being played out in some kind of like standard ass Hollywood blockbuster in World of Tomorrow is anything but that. And so much of the fun of these movies is just Julia Pott delivering like bonkers exposition in, in her droll, kooky British way. And like Emily as a character, whether whether it's, you know, any one of the Emily clones is so fascinating because of how she's vaguely sociopathic. She has mental deterioration, as she would say. Uh, she has a heart and this sort of emotional core that she needs fulfilled, but it can turn from like diabolical evil to outright sincerity in the, the you know, the head turn of a dime. What do they say? What's the expression? I can't remember. It's been a long day. Monday with no daycare. These turn fucking holidays. A, turn uh, of a dime. Hang on. Turn on, on a dime. Turn on a dime. There we go. Took me a minute. Uh, yeah, none of you, none of you parents warned me about how much of a nightmare like national but not federal holidays become 
uh, when you have a kid. <laughs> yeah, we don't, up on don't have time to warn you. We, have to God, we, we don't get Colin to stay here. So. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, and it's also, I thought that it's just so funny. I was cackling watching this movie. Um, as to the uh, whether or not it all makes sense, I've watched part three or episode three probably four or five times now, and it gives me the most delightful kind of headache in the way that something like, um, just to pull you know the most obvious example, something like a um, an Inception uh, would do a much more pleasant headache than Tenet, which was a little bit more required a little bit more sweat equity than it was worth. But uh, Hertzfeld swears that the German side of him ins- it makes insists that everything he makes adds up in some way or another. I mean, again, we're dealing with time paradoxes. Um, and so, you know, there's always going to be like a, a variable of some kind. Well, the chart, but, let's talk through the chart for one second for people who have seen the movie or stop the podcast. Go watch no, the you movie. Don't have to, you don't have to for one second. Short. I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm not, there's no spoil. I, I, I can't spoil anything, but let me ask you something. They go, they, there's clone, there's a clone timeline, but then there's like an out of time timeline right and one of the clones is going to replace the never mind this was- really, yeah i don't even think that was right there's a, yeah no, but there's, who are the who are the people on top who is david replacing those are the clones the, but those they're not are on a different time no no the clones are on one no the people on the bottom are the david they're the so it's the david prime so in like, between time david no 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 so the people no. on the bottom are the david prime's consciousness <laughs> right it's like the the, the bodies mm. that he puts his consciousness into to live forever the backup clones are just the clones, that, the clones. with that they make to harvest organs and do menial labor like and things never like let that. me go exactly um or michael bay's the island yes <laughs> and, more specifically uh, yes and so anyone you see with a number on their head is one of those backup clones and not right. a clone that is made just to occupy the uh, or be inhabited by the prime consciousness so but he becomes one of them in order to go in between times n- no he no. just builds that technology he just himself. builds clones. But, um, Did you see this movie? <laughs> <laughs> you know, in fairness to Patches, it's very, it's very, very complex. And the first time through, you're you really that. flying by the seat of your pants and just sort of laughing at it and following the emotional what, I think logic. that's why it wasn't like soaking in deep for me. Yeah. I'm just like enjoying the turns. But the beauty of that he's coming up with. The beauty of renting it on Vimeo, which is the only place you can see <laughs> it right now for six dollars, is that you get it for 72 hours. You can watch it. I can't do the math, but a hell of a lot of times. Over, I actually probably could do the math because it's 70. Whatever. I'm not going to. Uh, it's pretty simple. But you can watch it a lot. Um, and uh, you could probably find all the ways that it does add up. I think uh, it strikes a really happy medium between the like f- flow charts that people had to make on Reddit to understand Tenet and uh, something more more simple. But um, man, I, I, I mean, he is going to keep making these for a while. He's already made it quite clear. Really? That, oh, yeah. I mean, I think. I don't want to give away too much from the interview that I did with him, but there's a, uh, there are definitely going to be more, um, more, you know, more than one more. Um, and they might come out in different ways and they might be made faster. Um, but I think he's really jazzed and for, for good reason on the. Make him some soupy on Steven plans there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What happened to his feature, David? What happened to I Antarctica? I don't know. I have asked them about Antarctica in the past and he, has neglected to answer, which makes hmm. me assume that fell apart. It, yeah, that it, like it's, people I mean, should be working on it if it's actually happened. It was supposed well, he, to be yeah, a big, he, bigger movie. Don Hertzfeld, sort of like uh, you know Makoto Shinkai when he made Voices of a Distant Star, is very much a DIY independent animator. Probably the most 
uh, you know, important independent animator that America has these days. And um, he has a very, he doesn't have a team. I mean, his, his girlfriend Taylor does is an incredible composite artist and her work is featured in these movies, but he does most of it himself. And I think to do more World of Tomorrow chapters, certainly to do Antarctica, the feature that never ended up happening, he would need a considerably better team. He would need the resources that a production company can provide. Um, and uh, But that's what was going to happen. Yeah, that it was. was. He, and there it were did. producers involved. He has statements out yeah, there. Yeah, so he's going to get a big team. Yeah, and I, don't, I, I honestly don't and, know the story there, but I do know that um, he is looking to assemble a team when it's possible to do so going forward. Just, But but it sounds like... I'm putting together a team. I'm putting together a team. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a Mission Impossible sequel with a, making a Don Hirschfeld movie. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, it's just an incredible, incredible achievement that he's been able to make these and they scale larger every time and yet they still retain this intrinsic core i think what makes them special and i honestly pound for pound don't know if there's ever been a better sci-fi series at this point um i know that's obviously a statement that i can only make for myself uh but and i say that as someone who didn't live and breathe star wars growing up but uh this is really as good as it gets for me it certainly hits Hits my I mean, nerves. Now that there's an installment with a main character named David, that's a hard to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if uh, David is much of an aspirational character, but I'm definitely invested in his journey uh, through time. Just like on this podcast. I do miss Emily Prime, but uh, I understand why she can't be in this anymore. Uh, but Julia Potash is the best. I'm going to start an Oscar campaign for best vocal performance or best best actress, really. And it will just happen to be a vocal performance from Julia, from Julia Pot. Anyway, World Tomorrow Episode 3, it's on Vimeo. Go watch it. Uh, for our mini segment, we're going to talk about a, a mini movie. It's not a mini movie. It's just a tiny movie. <laughs> it's a real movie. Independent. It it's a real a movie. It's a feature-length film. <laughs> it's definitely a feature-length yeah. film. It played South by Southwest. Did it, it win? Won the South Grand Southwest? Jury the Prize. Grand Jury Prize? Yeah. Hell yeah. Good for these people. Um, the film is called Shit House. It is coming to limited amounts of theaters and VOD uh, this week this Friday. Um, it's directed and written by this guy, Cooper Rafe, who is 22 years old. So fuck that guy. If he were such a nice guy, I mean, I fuck him to hell, but, uh, piece of shit um but seems nice he made a whole and movie about uh, you know, a- anti-toxic masculinity. Yes, so. he did. <laughs> um, boy, this guy, He's going places. Um, yeah, so he he made a short film when he was even younger. Fuck him. Um, and he <laughs> tweeted at uh, one of the Duplass brothers. I believe it was Jay Duplass and was like, or maybe the Duplass brothers shared Twitter account. I don't know. It was Not Jay, sure I that one up. Um, but anyway, he was like, look at my film. And Jay Duplass did look at his film and then hooked him up with money and camera equipment and whatever he needed to make his feature debut. And he did. And it played South by and one big and fuck it's called shit house. And uh, yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> but um, it is a really sweet, interesting movie that took me a little time to to get into it but it found its groove it stars cooper he's also an actor so that guy sucks um <laughs> and opposite Reasonably good uh, looking too it's uh, yeah you know. he's a good he has good facial hair he can actually grow it unlike me fuck that guy um dylan <laughs> galula do you just want to slow down and uh unpack the rest of your 
uh, insecurities for, for the <laughs> listeners at home. This, yeah, this, I mean, I certainly this movie segment, is leading but... into my insecurities. What are you talking about? This is uh, about being, in, the movie is about being in college, being scared, um, having, uh, wanting relationships, maybe not getting them. Uh, there's a whole lot going on in, in, in shit house, but in very few scenes and in few locations, you know, a true independent film that um, again, it's opposite uh, Dylan Kalula, who is in, um, Oh God. Kimmy Schmidt. Kimmy Schmidt. Horse girl. The, uh, daughter. First girl I loved. It's excellent. Um, oh, she's in support the girls. I don't, she is a great, she's in, in her smell and support the girls. Great in both. Wow. Yeah, and and there's a few more people in this movie, but it's really centered on them. Like the whole first half of the movie is uh, a night of a like they go to a party, they meet, they both have bad fallouts from that party, and then they connect in their dorm. She's the RA, and that actually made me think like, oh my god, these RAs that were in my dorm when I was a freshman we're in college were not that older than me. I could have hooked <laughs> up with them. What was I doing? Um, I didn't even try. They well, so you old. just couldn't grow that facial hair, so things were challenging. It's true. It's so patchy, yeah. and I don't mean that as a pun. Um, but yeah, these these two connect, and the interesting thing about Cooper's character, Alex, is that he's really, really insecure about being at college, which is not um, a portrayal of the college experience that I feel like we've seen on screen, maybe ever. I can't think of anything where you go to college and, and you didn't make friends and you have a really strong connection to your, your mother and sister in his case, and you wish you were at home and, and college in movies is supposed to be like, you go and you have parties and you get fucked up and you meet chicks or you meet dudes and you, and, and everything happens in college. Um, but for some people, it's quite the opposite for so many people. And I, I haven't really seen it portrayed in the way that I think an independent film can really do. Um, you know, it's, it's, there's a scene in this movie where the two of them are just sitting in bed talking and this character who is so emotional and such a pushover and just like stunted in a way by his connection to his family, his, his despair that um, I, I've talked about this on the podcast before um, ages ago. This must've been ages ago that we talked about like movies. It was a quarter quell. We talked about, um, how, uh, I, I can't even remember the, the theme of it. Just like movies, we had very distinct memories, like IRL memories of seeing in theaters. And I had a friend um, who I went to high school with and he went off to college and he had this experience. He had, did not make any friends at all and uh, committed suicide or oh. died by suicide. And um, not to get too heavy, but like in these little moments in this movie where you see someone like teetering on the balance, teetering on the edge of their entire life, like, College doesn't seem like it should have such high stakes, but here's a person who is just like so lost and so, and, and he and he finds this girl who is like a lifesaver for him, and of course then they hook up and that whole thing explodes. It was it's just a really tiny, profound movie about a part of the college experience that I don't know. I just haven't seen it before. Oh, there should I be said. Really pretty uh, special. Should be said vis-a-vis the story you just told. Shithouse has a much lighter touch than that. It is. Uh, it does. Yeah. It does not go. It doesn't go in that direction. But I felt that moment. That's what I think I like about it. Because that gives it does it have emotional a light touch, stakes. Like, but you, I think it goes you, there. Yeah, you sense of the real potential for darkness for this kid. And it, it, that's what makes you root for him. And also, you talked about how this hookup with this girl kind of saved him. Um, I think the movie is like... I didn't like love it the way that I think David did seem to when I read his review from South by um like it kind of like has some tropes that it like trots along it is a first movie I guess you um 
might expect that. But the character played by Dylan Galula, like, does this nice job of kind of straddling the line between, like, I'm the cool girl RA who's got a bottle of wine and then also, like, Manic Pixie Dream Girl who's here to rescue this guy. Like, she's standoffish and she's got all these, like, mannerisms that strike me with my limited knowledge of real teenagers to be, like, pretty authentic. And I, I liked the extent to which she was a fully fleshed out person um, and did not exist for the emotional fulfillment of this guy. Um, she has her own arc, too. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah. He, in a way, is the manic pixie dream boy. Yeah, I mean, he's the one who's, like, feeling his feelings and, like, crying on the phone with his mom and, like, really, like, trying to open up to her. And she is, like, doing the thing that a lot of young people do where you just kind of, like, don't engage on any real level with emotions. Like, that kind of becomes a plot point. It's, like, said out loud very specifically in this fight scene. And, again, like, there are parts of the movie that are more elegant than others. But I I like the way that it takes her on that journey in a really, like – I think pretty nice and subtle way, like the way that she grows until it kind of it ends and kind of like jumps ahead ends in the time. weirdest way. I didn't love the ending, I, but no, again, you know, it's a good. it's a like first it's a first movie. It's a the light, the light touch is actually where it goes a little off for me. Obviously, I I just put all my feelings out there and I was like <laughs> totally knocked out by the midpoint of this movie. Obviously, and uh, and then it kind of recoils and they're figuring out their paths and I like that too. But then, yeah, it's definitely like a twenty two year old idealistic ending it has um, kind of like a farcical like final third too which like works and doesn't work like there's there's a lot to pull off in, in a movie like this. i just, I just got, think like, it's oh, sorry Katie, go. Yeah. i mean yeah like it's a, it's a low budget movie without a huge cast so like you have to do a lot with like the script and with the small circumstances you've gotten and you've gotten getting jesus um yeah. Some of it works better than others. That's all. I just, Amy Landecker's in this movie Amy, as the mom. Amy she's she is. she is good. She has a, like a very big weepy scene. Let's say. I, I second everything that was said about uh, Dylan Galula's performance, uh, but I, I think this movie is just so smart about and and very you know sensitive and unafraid, brave in its way, especially given how off the rails masculinity has gone in recent years. Uh, about that feeling when kids go to college and they feel this like performative pressure to sort of reset who they are and abandon all of the goodness that sort of germinated within them over the year and the, the, the sweetness and the things they care about that may no longer be deemed cool and put up this front, even though it's a very thin shell over the people that they've always been. And it's harder for some people than others to, to, just hide behind that and abandon the people that they were and what they care about. And it's a real struggle that everybody processes in their own way. But you guys are absolutely right. Like the most, most college movies are, you know, your, your animal houses and Van Wilders or even everybody wants some. Um, and I'm sure to an extent those experiences exist, but uh, those experiences are happening in the movie too yeah. alongside him he's like he can't connect to them but they always feel like and, and again I can't speak for like the the frat boys and jocks of the world who may be in the middle of those things but it, they also are the kind of experiences you always feel like you're seeing even if you're seeing them out of your own two eyes but not living and you're always thinking like well college as I know it is happening right over there but it's not mm-hmm. necessarily happening to me and this movie is is about you know, the you in that equation and, and what that feels like and um, not you know, someone who just doesn't have the stomach to sacrifice the things that make them them that they care about in order to get by. And his roommate, who's played by an actor whose name escapes me, but is very recognizable. Logan Miller. Logan or, Miller, who has yeah. a Don Hertzfeld tattoo in this movie. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. Bring yeah. Full that, I immediately sent an email to you, all of you all after watching this movie. This is this was 
genetically engineered for for David in a lab. There is a, it's it's a sweet boy, and there is Dylan Galula who is on Twitter, and everyone loves her. And then also there's a Don Hertzfeld tattoo, and there's a thirteen going on thirty joke. There yep. is a thirteen. Going an, on extend, an extended thirteen yeah. going on thirty joke. It just keeps going, but it was funny. Yeah, it's a um, it's a really sweet it's a really sweet movie, and uh, hopefully Cooper makes more of them. Can uh, we talk about the title, yeah. like? Terrible, why? terrible. Why? I think why he has some misgivings the over the title. I actually, I, I it sounds like I was what they would the do title. if this was going direct to DVD and desperate to get people to buy it at Walmart. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. have to say though, I was only put off by the title until I saw the movie, which I know doesn't help them bring people into the fold. But uh, when I was just like, "Who's this fucking twenty-one-year-old kid who went South by Southwest by bothering Jay Duplass on Twitter?" And, you know, like and so on. And then I saw the movie, and I was like, "Oh, I, I really like it, and I like him, and I uh, I'm so glad." Well, I don't think that title movie, but like, I said anything that's good about the movie. No. Yeah, I don't think so either. But um, you know, it was, I, I, and I, but I don't think. I think the natural assumption is that. It was sort of like edgy and cool, and he was really high on it. I don't think that's the case. I don't know how. Well, it came if you to want to get college age kids to see it, uh, it probably. Doesn't. I don't. I don't think it was anything like, that calculated. All the feels. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, but I, I think miss that's, home. I think that's exactly it. That's like, what else do you call it? Um, yeah. And it's you call it. Everybody wants some. Like that movie. That <laughs> the title has nothing to do with the movie, and it works. But everybody in that movie wants some. Everybody wants Wait, something. Can I ask an important question to wrap up this mini segment? This comes up in the movie. Um, in the movie, at the party, at the shit house, which is where they have the parties, um, Co- Cooper's character uh, is like drinking the red solo cup, obviously. I'm not sure what he's drinking in the, at the party, though. And then um, Dylan Glula's character carries around a bottle of wine because she likes to have a big bottle of wine at a party because it feels like heavier and it feels like socially protective for her. Um, so it made me wonder what everybody else's um, like house party drink of choice would have been back in college. Dave. <laughs> oh God. A house party drink of choice. Would you, well, if I had found you at a house party uh, at David's house in your twenties, uh, what would you talking about in our twenties or in college? Those are okay. How about in college? How about in college? Uh, in college. I like that you draw the distinction. Oh Whoa. yeah. No, my taste I'm got totally different. My taste got, too. Oh yeah. No, definitely. I did. In college, there was actually, uh, this drink I would drink when I was back here at house parties, uh, cause Boulder, Colorado is a college town. So you could still kind of college house party back here more than you could in New York. But it, I called it a smoky float where it was, uh, Whiskey Coke and cigarette smoke, and <laughs> you make a whiskey Coke, and then you blow the smoke on it, and the ice will hold the smoke down to the drink, so you cover it, and then you inhale, drink, and then exhale. Smoky flip. Yeah. I've had bougie uh, Brooklyn cocktails with like smoke on it, like you like puts a, like a bell of smoke same over thing. the cocktail. Uh, yeah, yeah, same probably thing. the same thing. Um, same in college, thing. I would drink jugs of Carlo Rossi, not like the whole jug, but like Whoa. that would be like, oh yeah, like Carlo Rossi was like a staple at Wesleyan house parties. It's I can't Pretty even cheap. imagine how gross it would taste now. David, how about you? Can I you would put back in those days anything in my body that somebody gave to me. <laughs> I have a video of David drinking what's essentially a liquefied cupcake and half Kahlua. Yeah, I, I was. Uh, he's like, "Oh, this is great." I, I was. We had a similar path. A David. really <laughs> pleasant, happy drunk. Uh, I was very rarely out of control. I was always just a more energized, fun-loving version of myself. Uh, I had vicious hangovers, but I could roll with it. 
these days I have like one sip of booze and my head gets a little swimmy and I want to take oh, a nap. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I would drink anything those days. It was great. I saw Matt Patches drink four loco in your house, David, and that was in our actual twenty. That's true. Mm. Yeah. More than one. I think I drank drink... two back to back. I guess I probably drank four loco too. I must have. Ooh. Now we're just sipping white claw. <laughs> <laughs> like like adults. That's what adults do. Shit house. guys i'm gonna start this segment three by asking you to explain the news to me this is not a video game segment don't worry uh but it is news about disney announcing a restructuring of their corporate something or another and it happened today as we record this after my kids had come home and i stopped paying attention and uh i don't understand why it's a big deal because disney has always been a corporation that's as much about their theme parks and merchandising as movies uh but everyone seems to think it's the end of the world patches why is it no, not dave, the end dave, of the go world? to dave oh, no. go to dave dave why, so, is end, why is it the end of the world in, in a book called the ride of a lifetime the lessons learned for 15 years as CEO of the Walt Disney Ooh, Company, I'm glad Bob we went Iger, to Dave. Oh, who is Bob Iger, who is not um, the current CEO of Disney and not behind this current transition, does spend a large position amount of time in the book talking about how, in order to shift a company as big as Disney, you really do have to reform it at the corporate level. So you could get things. Like uh, John Favreau doing Mandalorian on Disney Plus, and you could uh, get things like lots of big uh, Marvel properties uh, because he literally went in and changed the way that executives were paid so that he decided the pay structure of certain executives based on them being able to make content for Disney Plus. And this was five or something years ago. So in order to steer the company like a gigantic boat, he changed the way that they paid their own employees uh, in the entertainment spheres specifically. Not the parks, not anything like that. This is specifically about entertainment. Because he's like, we need to either pivot towards streaming completely or we need to be ready when the world pivots towards streaming completely. Because at this point, it was pretty obvious that Netflix was going to eat everybody's lunch except for HBO until HBO ran out of Game of Thrones, which is what happened. Bob Iger saw this coming. This is a continued shift for that. But instead of just going in and changing the pay structures, they're changing the corporate structures and taking all of like the studios uh, that would produce content for uh, Disney, Touchstone, whatever they're going to do with 20th Century those things, and they're putting them under a company whose greater uh, focus is to make content for non-theatrical streaming distribution. So this so the default like a, is streaming rather than the default being theatrical. Exactly. It's not that there won't be uh, like a theatrical model that Disney won't exploit. Like I think uh, you know you're still going to see a lot of the things we've been saying 
we're going to be the only movies coming back to theaters uh, in a big way. You're still amusement see, park like, movies will continue yeah, to be the amusement park. to be yeah. the amusement park movies. Uh, but you're going to see a lot more stuff. Um, I guess sort of like what uh, Marvel was hinting at with their Phase Four, which got kind of like put on pause and now delayed. But a lot of uh, conversations between Disney Plus uh, things and movies. And I think that's going to be sort of how we're going to start seeing it. Uh, what this, the doom side of this could be is that they've now remade their company in a way where the theatrical model isn't at the base of all of their projections. So the way we would think about pitching a movie to Disney, uh, you know, even two years ago, uh, changed uh, on a dime today um, <laughs> because profitability uh, on all these things are different. Uh, like streaming profitability is much more nebulous, at least to me, probably because we don't have an industry that we're part of, like probably box Disney. office industry, probably because Disney. Um, uh, so it's it's going to be interesting to see the company sort of uh, turn turn its head. And because it is Disney and it is like the biggest company, I think this is going to be the reason people are freaking out and the reason why it could be like the death knells of theater is if Disney uncovers the model that replaces the theater theatrical model, then everyone's just going to follow that, that model. That's, you know, they're big enough uh, that they're going to be able to knock down a door that it would take maybe an independent, you know, streaming company or whatever the alternative would be uh, like a decade to knock down. Disney's going to kick it in. So if, in November, when we hear an earnings call and Mulan went gangbusters, then the game changed already. Doesn't if seem not, like it would have. I mean, Soul is not going to do the uh, thirty dollar rental, right? Like, right. That seems to be evidence that maybe the Mulan experiment did not work out for whatever uh, reason. Maybe yes. bad reviews had something to do with that too. Well, yeah. So maybe they're going to also, you know, keep you know doing things with Soul or whatnot. But whatever we, whatever we hear, what the profits were with Mulan, it didn't scare them completely away they still think that this mm-hmm. might be viable or they still think or, or uh, bob chapik who is the new ceo is still just kind of carrying over uh the way that bob Iger tried to steer the company uh because disney plus kind of worked for them and here we are on the eve of mandalorian emmy award-winning mandalorian uh having a second season and trying to bring everybody back so i'm sure this announcement also works well I, for that i can't tell if this is um, Disney like terraforming the entertainment industry forever, or uh, re- I mean, not really because Netflix did, and yeah. right. Disney is just catching up to Netflix. Um, but I, or terraforming the theatrical industry or the entertainment industry, if they were like the last pillar under it and it's about to topple, or if Disney is struggling. I mean, Disney, we think of them as just this titanic company and this monolith, and um. But they've almost failed so many times. If you go back to uh, the mid-20th century, the 80s into the 90s, like a struggling company, a company that could have gone bankrupt. Um, but And I don't know if they're always the biggest company, if they're always shaping the future or if because of the parks and because of the position they got into with their blockbuster sized entertainment and the, the pandemic has completely ruptured everything they knew or the, the strategy that they had, if they are struggling and just trying to figure out their way forward for, for them. I mean, I guess in my imaginary world, um, even if I think 
theaters are all going to go out of business soon. And I kind of do. I'm trying to be optimistic here. Um, I think they come back in some ways and there will be movie theaters out there, but doesn't this leave room for, for small movies? Doesn't this leave room for non amusement park movies I, I i don't know it seems like the shift leave more could room be good or for... like disney doing this would not affect those movies disney doesn't maybe yeah disney doing this doesn't necessarily affect everything in the entertainment industry you know a24 ifc films with shithouse doesn't have to like figure out how to follow disney down this path sure i've never heard of i mean disney ifc before. has a pretty <laughs> ifc has a pretty robust vod uh strategy though so maybe they beat disney down the path yeah, I mean, we talked about... I was about, about to say, number one on iTunes the other night was uh, Ava, that <laughs> Jessica yeah, Chastain yeah, yeah, movie the, that barely uh, came out. It, right, which, which yeah, is supposedly just unwatchable. Um, but, you know, something that always irritates me when we talk about this, not we, like, on the show necessarily, but we in the broader sense, is that people always talk about it like a zero-sum game. Like, that can only be theaters or streaming when, in fact, as people have pointed out before... You know, the real competition isn't necessarily between theaters and streaming. It's between theaters and restaurants and streaming and video games. Uh, yeah. You know, people want to go out and they want to stay home and they want to have content they can access in those different environments. Um, but uh, what was I going to say about Disney? Oh, yeah. What question about Disney Plus, which, you know, they keep touting these incredible numbers. I understand that The Mandalorian is a huge hit. And I understand that parents of older kids anyway, older than mine, need content they want readily accessible disney classics for their kids but what else does disney plus have like it feels like there's nothing on there all of the simpsons that's the point david right to to bolster this to start putting yeah. as much of the money behind creating content for it i to guess make I'm it just, more them, impressive obviously to make that's them i guess i'm just confused as to how they amassed other than like a shit ton of promotion and having the disney machine behind them such a big subscriber base already with nothing to well, watch. Spending lots of money. I mean, having a, yeah. having, being the only place you can get a Star Wars show. Being the only place you can get a Hamilton. The thing with Netflix is they have tons and tons and tons of content and none, none of it is desirable. None of it is something you That's want not to true. watch. Hamilton was a big right. deal though. I do remember that. Except the crown. And well, they and gave they... away a year free. Like I got a free year Disney Plus from having yeah, Verizon or something. Yeah, yeah. Either, and that didn't work yeah. for Apple TV. So I guess that's sort of, you know, like iffy. But Yeah, like, that's true. They gave away Apple too. Like, I, I almost think, like, if you were to think about how this is, like, Disney's basically saying, okay, now we're Netflix. And they're just publicly saying that. Like, we're going to spend billions of dollars developing streaming content. Are they going to approach it like a Netflix? I don't know. But it is possible that Disney Plus becomes more like a Netflix, where it's like, what, you know, what five movies are fucking coming out on Disney Plus this weekend? And are any of them legitimate movies? Are this what we consider, like, streaming content movies at this mm-hmm. point? Um, and then they're trying to de- delete that and they're saying like, this is the, like, they're caring more about like other people, po- like other movies that are going to go to Netflix at the same time their movies are going to go to Disney plus. They see those as competitors more so than they see at the th- theatrically released movie as a digital acquisition. That's more what it is now. It's a future digital acquisition The the, the pi- period of time where it made the most money in theaters to Disney said they say that they don't think that's necessarily worth it anymore. And now and like during <laughs> during the pandemic, they're right. But I think I don't know, it was either somebody on this podcast said very smartly, like we don't kinda don't know if this is a panic uh, spasm or if this is like a 
a genuine turn well, be, that's going to last. It'll be interesting to see Disney in like streaming mode because with Netflix, like why does Netflix put out so much content? Do they need to put out eight movies every Friday and two series? And do they need to go to Sundance and acquire it's every a, it's documentary? Speed, like, it's a speed-like situation. Want? Like Reed Hastings, uh, a bomb is going to go off uh, in he his car if he is <laughs> if he is more than or less than fifty billion dollars in debt at any given time. I guess, yeah. I guess I'll be curious. You know, Disney has so for the last decade been so offensive in how it will pluck independent talent uh you know from like you mean on the offense not like offensive to your sensibilities no no offensive to my sensibilities actually um in the way that they'll like hey david lowry made some independent movies like come make pete's dragon or like you'd think that taking independent filmmakers and like giving them big opportunities would be cool it is in some sense but i'm offended by the the lack of nurturing of of filmmaking communities disney does not give back to the community they only take they only like go to sundance and give someone the next star wars movie they don't go to sundance and put out somebody's little movie that they make um maybe disney streaming is good because they have to play the netflix game and suddenly they'll be acquiring small movies or they'll be looking for documentaries or something you know the disney brand is so sacrosanct that like so many things have already been punted, like Dear uh, well, they, Simon or whatever was punted to Hulu. And they the own Fox Searchlight so. now, which has been doing exactly that for 20 years. Which is now going to be the Hulu machine. I mean, I guess so. Like, I hope that they treat Fox Searchlight better than that because it's got an incredible back catalog. But, I mean, they have acquired people who know how to do what you're talking about. So will you credit Disney for that? If like Fox Searchlight just continues to thrive, as long as, long as Fox Searchlight continues, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I think they would be crazy me, to get rid of it. It pains me to think that the Oscars are going to become more benevolent and instrumental to the safety and survival of independent film or independent-ish film uh, as we go forward in the situation. Because uh, the reason that a Sony Pictures Classics or a uh, Fox Searchlight is not going to become a Hulu machine is because they want to win hardware. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's a cycle. I mean, they win, they get nominated for things that brings money in and, and goes around and around and around. And, uh, you know, with this year being a notable exception that I don't think is going to be permanent, uh, I you know, people, if they're going to confer legitimacy on these movies, need to think of them as theatrical entities and things worthy of theatrical distribution. And so... I, I do think the awards race is going to continue, at least on the American side of things. The rest of the world is not having any trouble producing uh, content that is theater ready and being released, you know, in their own respective countries and theaters. Um, so I, I think that that's going to continue to play a role in it. And uh, this year, there's going to be a lot of ink spilled about how, you know, Netflix <laughs> is finally going to win their Oscar or, you know, something that is released directly to streaming is going to win some big Oscar. Uh, very well could be Mank. Mank. Um, and, uh, you know, and that's going to be, and finally, after years of trying, you know, this is the perfect storm where they were able to do it. Uh, but Netflix I, I created don't... coronavirus to win an Oscar, pass it on. Right. It's Holy true. Shit. But I, I mean, that's Q-Anon. actually a fact. I read about it Katie on the internet. But I think actually, that... no, Patches created it so we didn't have to see Top Gun 2, and then Netflix really ran with it. <laughs> but the reality is that if theaters, let's say Mank came out in 2021 and theaters were open, there's no way that they would miss the opportunity to not play it in theaters exclusively for weeks on end before it opened on Netflix and play it at the theater they They're bought. They're playing Mank. It, it's, it, 
Mank is opening in theaters exclusively for like three weeks. Right. I was about to say, Trial of Chicago place. 7 is playing in theaters right no, now. No, but, yeah. but Trial of Chicago, that, that had to have been a contractual thing because they went out of their way to do zero advertisement for that. Um, it really felt more like an old school piece of donation day and date drop. And they are, they must have just been written into a contract before the pandemic. Um, and they're trying to keep up appearances to some degree. But, you know, Netflix, when it comes to their award season fair, is as much an interest in theaters as some other people, some other people do. And I think we'll continue to. Um, but, uh, and, you know, I think whatever money Disney was able to make on Mulan and whatever new subscribers they bring in by premiering Soul on Christmas, which is apparently very good, even though I, you know, people keep saying it's the best Pixar movie since, since Inside Out, which is a movie I did not like. Doesn't fill me with a lot of hope, but Soul looks good. Um, Stop. Is, uh, Stop. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I think that, you know, whatever success they have with those films on Disney Plus is going to be a drop in the bucket compared to the kind of success they have with Black Panther 2 in theaters. So, well, yeah, that's the thing. What Dave, you were saying earlier, like they're thinking of them all as like digital plays more than theatrical plays. But like Disney's going to be the first studio to have another billion dollar grossing box office movie. And like they that clearly is important to them, too. I mean, yeah, but they always were going to be the next pick that like whatever superhero movie they put out is going to be that, you know, like so it, that was never not Disney's property. Um, I, I would think about it more like. It's going to be a slow pivot, and I guess more about whether or not they're going to abandon theatrical entirely. Obviously, I don't think we're, we know that much yet, and it wouldn't benefit them financially. But, like, <clears throat> the the world is run by greed, especially by Disney. And what they just did is they told people, if you want to get rich, make us something streaming, don't make us a fucking movie. That's yeah. what I just mean, happened. The, God, the, the tweet that uh, A.O. Scott tweeted out today in the form of the like, I, I don't even know the meme because this all sort of happened and I wasn't really interested about like it started like this and now it's going like this, whatever the fuck the format is. Uh, and <laughs> he compared Steamboat Willie that was on the left with the, the CEO statement from, from Disney today about – Exactly what Dave was just talking about about their world class franchise. Oh my god! It was just like, like what the fuck happened? Like when did we so lose our way in terms of making anything pure and good in this world? It's either Don Hertzfeld working in Austin like his house and and churning out DIY masterpieces, or it's fucking Disney Plus and their monolith of culture in between. (laughs) I mean, it took a long time to get to our entertainment, but probably the the '80s. I'm going to say that's what ha- when it happened. Yeah, <laughs> so it just feels like it's when, accelerating. When There's a Tron a, um... sequel. Do you realize that? <laughs> There's a Tron two. They if, made hey, that. Son. <laughs> There's, there's, like, there's going to be a Tron three in 14 more years, be, and it has Jared Leto in it. <laughs> If you're like a corporate CEO and you get paid so much money, do you think talking like that like feels fine? Like you just you're so bought in that yes, like, no because part the, of you the people you appeal to love that i mean yeah. they want to hear that yeah, i mean we're, we're content the people creation who don't matter distinct from distribution will allow us to be more effective and nimble in making the content consumers want most delivered in the way they prefer to consume it as soon as a company mm-hmm. becomes publicly owned it's only a matter of time uh, we're strategically positioning our this. company to more effectively support our growth strategy and increase shareholder value and first part of the quote that's the whole here's quote. a direct Here's a direct quote from CEO Bob Chapek. Beep boop bop beep. I do what you say. Beep boop boop bop. <laughs> but yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm not too worried about like art 
I'm not any more worried about independent cinema and what, what I would consider to, like right? fine, good cinema than I was, you know, before. It's just interesting that Disney could have continued pummeling the theatrical market into submission with all of their billion dollar movies. And now they said maybe they're just going to do it a couple of times when they feel like it. Yeah. What if most weeks are just interesting movies and then every so often a marvel movie comes Although out Disney's I'm just saying, there, aren't, there aren't like four thousand theaters right. but that, disney's saying that does not materially change anything from from what was happening yesterday i mean this has been their this has been their strategy for a couple of years now um when you know it, it, they really were just releasing only event films 12 months out of the year and outliers were films that were still as large as something like peach dragon or the one and only ivan uh, which seemed to make eminent <laughs> well, sense. Well, it's been like, it's been like a creep. Streaming. Like they had a lot of success with the new Mickey Mouse cartoons, which were just like flash animated and thrown on like YouTube, and now those live on like Disney Plus. So I think it's actually more stuff like that. You're going to get the IP. You're gonna fucking fifteen Muppet shows. Get ready. They're cheap and easy, and they yes. always fail, but they're easy to make. Like that. Everything sort of thing. they own will have some sort of Disney Plus iteration. I love. And there's no. There's no difference now if everything's going streaming between a miniseries that is supposed to be a movie and a 90-minute episode of something. I heard that they, I heard through the grapevine that they were developing a Tron show, a Uh live-action Tron uh show, and it's not happening anymore. It got got nixed, but I'm like, what the fuck? Bring that back. We all Uh, want it. We all want it. Give it some time, Patches. I do think that, the, that a great relationship between theatrical content and streaming content, there is none better. Forky in Toy Story 4, a fine movie, <laughs> an excellent character, and then the Emmy-winning Forky needs a friend, wants a friend. Forky asks a question. Forky asks a question. Uh, that that is, that is a perfect uh, way of bridging that gap because it's not depend. One does not depend on the other, um, but... It absolutely the seeing Toy Story four in theaters or anywhere else perfectly tees up Forky asks a question, and kids watching Forky asks a question makes Toy Story four better because every time Forky pops up in Toy Story four, they will lose their minds, uh, like I did the first time I saw Forky. Yeah, so, David, you just you yeah. just talked yourself into it. Like you're like, oh look, that worked, and that's what the CEOs are saying. Well, there's that's I what mean, it's going to be. Obviously, you can't have one without the other, and greed is going to win in the end. But the, I still think there's a big difference between the Forky ask a question strategy and uh, Phase Four of the MCU weaving in details you can only get on Disney Plus that makes the movies either richer or only understandable by virtue of watching them. Yeah, we'll David, have to see how David, that works. do you subscribe to uh, Disney Plus? I do, and I'm not sure why, because every time I need to re- review a movie for it, they just send a link. Um, but uh, I, I do. Um, I have not, as you can tell, really watched. I haven't watched a single thing other than Forky Asked a Question a couple of times. I think, you know, when Ace You could be older, watching Fantastic Mr. Fox every day like I I could am. be watching right. Fantastic Mr. Fox every day on cable or on Blu-ray or wherever the fuck, in my mind, by closing my eyes. I memorized that fucking movie. But the, <laughs> you know, when Ace gets older, I guess it'll be a good resource for me to have, even though, you know, we have a, a hard rule in this family, Forky notwithstanding. Uh, no CGI animation for as long as humanly possible. It's an experiment. Oh, yeah, see how long I, we I get see that. there's and a new the caveat there. On HBO Max. Well, yeah. I mean, if you want to have a repository of Max animated films who yeah. are, that are restored to their greatest quality, uh, you want you want fucking Disney Plus. Yeah, I was watching the the Ghostbusters like um, Mickey Mouse 
uh, a Donald Duck what? and Goofy cartoon where they're they're Ghostbusters. It's a really early black and white cartoon. Oh, 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 it was on like oh, oh. the 30s. I forget like, what when the, did the Ghostbusters crossover with Mickey Mouse. That sounds no, no. awesome. Anyway, but get that on, watching... a, on a graphic tee for me in Sonic Comic Con. I was watching that on Disney Plus the other day, and it looks pristine. It looks like they, you know, did a restoration, did a digital transfer, and now it will forever look like it was probably better than it looked, you know, being projected in theaters before you saw some other like crappy movie. So I, I'm for how this could be good for animation but i also want to roll it back to the traditional dave thing which is like corporations only want money they don't care about you this is probably bad <laughs> that's just like a we'll clip that into any conversation we have about corporations in future yeah. episodes it's, yeah it's like this is a business we're a podcast about uh criticizing art but uh th- this looks like it's a bad idea to me. Can I but ask a completely separate but unrelated corporate question to close out the show? Yeah. David, did you get the Talenti gelato with layers in it? Because <laughs> I have been looking okay. at the picture that listener Jeffrey Sioris tweeted at us, and it looks incredible. It, it really and does. Um, Katie, this is it's a really sensitive subject, and I wish that you hadn't hit me under the belt like that uh, at the end of a really <laughs> long day. Because things in my Talenti saga, and, and the folks in Talenti, I really hope you're listening, uh, have Taking a dark. We are looking for sponsors. All, all corporations are bad except Lenti. Just because. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know if they're a corporate corporation, a gift from God. It's hard to say. But the fact of the matter is that currently, for the first time in the better part of a year, uh, all of my local markets are out of pumpkin pie Talenti flavor. Let alone this new layered business. Now, maybe they're out because Talenti is pivoting to layers, uh, and this is just lost in transition. That would be terrible. I mean, the world is wide enough for both pumpkin pie flavor varieties. But uh, there seems to be a real run on pumpkin-related things in my neighborhood right now. I couldn't even find pumpkin pies at my local market. So um, things That's are dark. I had to settle I for... why. It's, is it a cure for the pandemic? It, it could going be. On? It could We're be. Uh, I've, eat, off the shelf. I've eaten a serving of Talenti pumpkin pie virtually every night since the pandemic started and have not gotten COVID. Just saying. Just saying. Maybe I'm immune. I don't know. Maybe I'm immune. Maybe I'm immune. Uh, I'll go tremendous, play the big fat kiss on every no one, one of you, even the men. Um, but the... Talenti is a Unilever company, just so we know. So super, <laughs> they? super, super corporate, yes. Oh, whatever. Even corporations have their bright spots. Uh, <laughs> 30 Rock, uh, whatever channel that was aired on in the 30 Rock universe was owned by like a microwave company. So it all adds <laughs> out. Um, but uh, uh, no, I have not tried the layers. I settled tonight for uh, Pacific Coast Pistachio, which I've had in the past and is quite good. You know, nothing quite competes with pumpkin pie, but uh, it wounds me. And Jeffrey Sarah, Sarah, Saroy, whatever you pronounce his last name, uh, that that mouthwatering tweet that you sent to us uh, was both the most beautiful thing I've seen in a long time and also deeply painful. Um, but I'm now scrolling through the Talenti Instagram feed, by the way, and it's uh, it's good. Yeah. Anyway, uh, then now we can close this segment on a downer. End of episode. <laughs> Someone ma- mail David some ice cream or some Talenti gelato and make his life better. All right. I think I might have to go have dessert, though. Like, I didn't, I wasn't hungry. And then I looked it sounds at the like Amy Instagram McGrath feed. is just kicking the shit out of Mitch McConnell in their debate. I, I want to see the recap of this. Oh, she's never going to win, though. I know. Who cares? That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. 
I'm Matt Patches, senior editor at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. Go to uh, Polygon.com and read all our coverage of uh, the New York Comic Con, which I spent a lot of time working on. And actually, it was quite good. Um, I, I, I thought there was a lot. Dave wrote something about Lost on Polygon.com this weekend. So, And I interviewed uh, Paul W.S. Anderson about his new movie, Monster Hunter. It's all wild. Go to Polygon.com, um, but also go to FightingInTheWarRoom.com if you want to listen to episodes of this while you're on your computer, or if you want to share a link to someone who does not listen to the show, that's a great way to do it. Just send them a link. Don't even tell them why you're doing it. Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. Uh, I, I think I can confidently say I've eaten more Tlancy pumpkin pie ice cream than any other human alive over the last year. Uh, <laughs> challenge me that to prove that I'm wrong. Your, your you son is not a human child. It's actually <laughs> he's a ball of uh, perma frozen dry ice, dry ice cold. <laughs> it's all empty pumpkin, and I love him. Um, and I'm gonna eat him. Uh, the uh, if you're the Tlenty company, you can send Tlenty at uh, Dave bleep out my address. Uh, if you want, just DM them. Uh, if you're everyone else, you can leave us a review on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. We'll read it on the show. It's a great time for all. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can follow my Lost podcast, The Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast, where we're in season four. And, yeah, like Patches mentioned, if you go to Polygon.com, I uh, covered some Lost uh, for New York Comic Con for Polygon. Uh, they, they, they say they have all the answers, that we have all the answers. So now my podcast gets to tell you all the answers. It's fun. Check it out. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com and on the Little Gold Men podcast where we're going to talk about a bunch of the other stuff that's out this week. Uh, and I talked to the uh, organizers of my beloved local film festival, Film Fest 919, which is doing a drive-in this year. I'm very proud of them for pulling it off. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H-M. We're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R where you can uh, tell us your favorite Talenti ice cream flavor or any ice cream flavor. We're not choosy. Uh, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... We're streaming. It's mid-October. What are you streaming to get in the mood? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week.